Hey, I'm Michael Durinder. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 110 of the North Meet Southwest podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? So I have got a little bit of car trouble. Not too bad. Not as bad as it used to be. But this, is, this is how it works, man. This is, did I tell you I bought a different car? You told me about your sister, your sister, your daughter. Yes. Kicking she broke the crap it. out of your car until it fell apart. Yep. Yep. It's she stepped temper. on it. She stepped on it one time and it, the rust, the rusted portion of the car fell off in the parking lot. Actually, to be accurate, I've been telling people that because it's easier than explaining the rest of it, but maybe it's a little white lie. It broke. It definitely broke. It crunched and like <sighs> was loose. And I was like, oh no. And then we were driving on the road on the way home and it goes, kunk, and I can hear it like dragging. And then I ran over something, but um, and then yeah, I got home and it was definitely off the car. It was gone. But that takes longer to explain than she stepped on it and it fell off in the parking lot, which is practically yeah, it accurate. Takes, and like it's easier than just throwing your daughter under the bus. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, um, yeah. So I got a different car. And, you know, this is the thing is it's always like, you know, I have friends who have brand new cars who have been in the shop more often with their cars in the last two years than I have ever been in my in the shop with my car, right? It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. So you, you know, you, you're like thinking to yourself, like, oh, I'm gonna get rid of this piece of garbage car that I have, which by the way, has never been in for repairs. And I'm going to replace it with this nicer, newer car. And then within the week of getting it, there's a problem. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. can't win. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the blower motor. I go to turn on the, the heat and it's like, it's really loud noise. Yeah, so not the good not the sound you want to hear. No, no. But the good news is, I found a really great um, forum, like message board, where mm-hmm. all these people who have Honda pilots talk about their pilots and all the stuff that they do to them and all this whatever and maintenance and whatever. Oh my gosh, it's like a treasure trove. Like I feel like those th- those places are still where message boards are completely relevant. Like auto clubs or like, can't hey, want to talk about my motorcycle or like I have this one niche thing that I really enjoy and like, let's all get around and talk about this thing. Like message boards are still king in that realm, you know? Yeah. Cause they're, I mean, for, I suppose for, for that demographic there, um, there, you know, you can open a browser, you can go to a forum and you can, you know, punch in a form and, and get the, yeah. Your message out there it's you don't have to mess around with facebook you don't need to do groups you don't need to i guess it know, makes me wonder like, twitter or whatever yeah right that's the thing is like twitter is sort of like laravel's message board almost you know what i mean in some senses mm. um yeah it's definitely used a lot in our community it's a worse uh, it's a worse version of a message board though it feels like to me you know what i mean yeah, it's much much harder to search go back it and is. find things you know it if is. You've, Reply to someone that's lost very quickly and things like that. So it's good that, that things like, you know, Laracast exist and right. Laravel.io and places Both like that. Yeah, exactly. That's very true. Where the, the thing that I found with, I've, I find my way onto Laravel.io a lot in terms of, you know, searching for problems and, and landing there. I find that more often than not, though, I, I find people with the same problems, but not with any actual solutions. It's kind of like, here's the post. Um, Here's the problem I was having, and then there's just no resolution, no, no commentary, and I don't, I don't know that that speaks necessarily to the community as a whole, or if it's just the the issues that I bump into a, a niche that niche enough that you know other people have perhaps come across them, but no one's ever come up with a solution for it. Whereas I find Laracast because it's because it's more of an educational forum, it's more 
people are going there with common problems to find solutions. And so there's a lot more activity and a lot more responses for that kind of, that kind of issue. Um, whereas trying to find like more, um, what's the word for like unique, I suppose, challenges and issues with the framework is, is, is trickier to track down. Once you kind of get out of the the straight and narrow and into the deeper stuff, you're kind of figuring a lot more of it out by yourself. Yeah, and there's like a, such a spread, right? It's like you've got Discord, you've got Twitter, you've got Laravel IO, you've got uh, mm-hmm. Laracast, and then you've got like Stack Overflow, which is like just general questions and a lot of stuff gets answered on there too, right? You find yourself yeah. in Stack Overflow every once in a while when you get these like sort of weird problems. I actually think there was somebody who was trying to start something where it was like only high level and this is sort of a silly thing to say but like you know i don't know how you define that high level programmers like you have to take like a a a test to get in it sort of deal but it was like more high level speak right like hey i've got i'm not i'm not trying to solve this this little issue like i've actually Mm -hmm. got like an architecture problem but i'm using laravel and what's a good way to solve this you know and that's kind of what we do in our little mini chat that we've got like um you know, our little mini community we've got going on. Whenever I've got a yeah. question about that stuff, that's usually where I pop in is, is talk about it in there. Um, you get more immediate feedback, I suppose, and um, mm-hmm. from like a group of trusted people. So I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of different... I guess that's good. There's a lot of different resources you could look at. Um, but I haven't been on Laravel IO in forever. It used to be the go-to yeah. place. I used to like yeah. the IRC channel back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was where I would always when hang out. the community out. was smaller. That kind of real-time thing doesn't really work at this scale, yeah, you know, at the hard. scale that Laravel was at because you ask your question, but 15 other people ask their question and it's just so much activity going on, um, which is good because people are communicating with each other and they're talking about their issues and they're, you know, there's a hive of activity. But in terms of actually getting to the bottom of issues, I think you need, like you really need to have an, a niche down community like it's good because we've got you know six people in that telegram group yeah and and we can sort of bounce ideas off of each other and things like that but if it gets too big i'm in a telegram group of probably about 30 people and if it's something really juicy that i that i get into there um but you know generally speaking once a community gets beyond a certain point it just becomes too hard to manage it becomes too hard to keep up and it becomes more difficult to be valuable i think um Yep. Laracast being the exception because it's because it's high traffic and it's put together in such a way where people are actually there actively helping out. You know, Jeffrey curated that community in such a way in the very early days. And they're incentivized to do so as well. Yeah. Where it, you right, know, like I know uh, Bobby um, yeah, Bowman. Yeah, so yeah Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. Right. Like he, he is like the all-star on there, but he gets like these badges and mm-hmm. like whatever, whatever. Right. So Jeffrey's like gamified it as well. Um, yeah, encourages right, to kind you. of give you some awards. Yeah, right, exactly. Encourages you to help out. Encourage, for being encourages you to be part of the platform and and to help people out. And so that's really valuable. So, um, but if you can find, I think, you know, generally speaking, if you can find a group of of Laravel developers in into a small community that you can kind of bounce ideas off of. You know, as I said, we've got the group of of the six of us or so. Um, you know, just people that you trust, people that you can bounce ideas off of. I don't know that specifically these kinds of groups exist, but I assume they would. You know, there's the six of us, I'm sure. You know, 
um, there's groups that that I reckon, you know, Aaron Francis would have a group that he'd be a part of. I know that the Europeans have probably got a group, you know, Freik and Marcel and, and Dries and, you for know, sure like they they've, yeah. they'd for sure have their own group. So, you know, it's good to, to have those ideas, th- those places, not just to, to bounce ideas off of for, for products and, and releasing things, but, you know, just to have that that close group of friends that you've got and also to sort of bounce ideas off of if you're getting stuck with something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So speaking of uh, stuff going on and things changing and all that good stuff, um, you've got a new job I have. since the new year. I have. And um, I'm really curious to hear how that's going. It's going very well. It's um, yeah. So you're in a fintech sector now, right? So you're out of the telecom yep. sector and sort of into the financial sort of stuff. Um, so new challenges, new like domain mm. stuff to learn. How's it going? I think the domain is the the key thing. I haven't really had to get too much into the weeds on the domain as yet. Um, day two, I was in a meeting with a vendor. Day three, I was already integrating. You know, starting to build out an integration for that vendor in terms of um they've got an API, getting the API, getting that back. <clears throat> there's um there's like nine nine endpoints plus like a login endpoint. So it's not a, a big surface area, but the um the data that we get back is massive in terms of what it does. Um and it's like a know your customer kind of thing, which maybe you have some exposure with in in your line of work where essentially we want to do um like financial checks. Um, to to make sure that you know people that we're providing financial um, financial products to are you know they, that they're that they're going to pay back you know that they're um, what's the word that they're financial you know um, yeah like their credit che- you basically credit check them or like yeah. search assets yeah search and make assets sure they have and liabilities and, of, yeah. and we look for um, you know for for commercial assets and commercial products look looking at um, companies and how they're structured and how those companies are structured and held together and shareholders and, um, you know, directors and things like that. So it's, it's kind of, kind of scary how much information you can get back just from looking up oh, like yeah. a name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, the issue, I, and I tweeted about this earlier today is that like we've spoken about data transfer objects before and how it's nice to use that kind of, um, that kind of functionality in your code when you're getting something in from the outside world and and then working with like a structured document rather than just a giant array. Now, when I say giant array, like this is a giant array um, and it can be quite massive and everything's very normalized. Um, we get back like addresses broken down into like street, num- street name, street type, um, street number, suburb, state, postcode, like all of those things are individual fields and, and, and things like that. So when normally you would, have a, a DTO where you would define all of your public properties for each of those fields and then just map them out of the the JSON payload. There's, mm-hmm. there's just too many of them to sit down and like, and it's, you know, it's do it once and it's done kind of thing, but it's still just a daunting task. So I was kind of trying to figure out a nice way of doing that where you could possibly pass like a dot notated string, you know, get, um, you know, nominee dot, first name or, or something like that. And it would just pull out that tree for you. Um, which, which doesn't really mm-hmm. expose the data model as much as I'd like. 
you right. know you can't see it yeah but you could say like give me the whole thing and then go and figure out what you want and then but it's a bit yeah whereas the the nice thing yeah, about the I dto know. is that like you can say dollar response arrow um nominee which gives you an array of nominees and then you can go like zero arrow and then get like right. and then, you know and then you get the completion in your id as well um which I, and i know i've always i've always been against that kind of stuff but it's it's handy um especially when you're talking these giant sure. objects. And so I don't really know a nice way of going about it short of actually going in and then constructing all of these objects myself. Yeah, and it sort of depends on like how often you're going to use it. You know what I mean? Is it like this something we, <laughs> is this going to be something that has like far-reaching effects into your into your domain mm. or is this just like you touch, you know, you call this API once, you always only use these three fields and then you're done, yeah. right? And so it's like you sort of just have to measure return on investment on that. Mm-hmm. So it's like how much is it actually worth? So we we do have a similar deal, um, you know. So there are a lot of benefits, obviously. You know, to shaping out DTOs, for example, like you can essentially say, like, this is my contract. This is what I should expect to get mm-hmm. back all the time, right? It's like an API contract. You can test against that, hitting the real API and making sure that nothing's changed when you're shipping code. Um, but you know, again, it's like if you're dealing with a relatively stable API and like you're not really expecting anything to change. I mean, when it changes, it's going to break, mm-hmm. right? And then the, and then you fix it, yeah. right? So it's like. Do you invest a bunch of time up front for something that's unlikely to change, or do you kind of like put some good catches in place in case something does mm-hmm. change to let you know and alert you and then just kind of go from there? So, um, you know, and what we do a lot of times is we'll throw a fixture into our tests. So we'll go grab a, a grab a response. And so there's a lot of tools to do this as well, like VCR or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I've found that literally just taking a JSON snapshot and throwing it in as a fixture, and I run some tests against those things. And then when I'm looking to see, what is the response going to look like? I can go look at that fixture. Mm-hmm. If the if the API doesn't have great documentation, yeah. I can just use that sort of as a starting yeah. point. So again, it just depends on how far does it reach into the domain and how much is it worth mm-hmm. changing out some of that stuff. But yeah, it's um, this is like your first thing that you're working on for them, huh? Is like you're, is, are you essentially integrating with like a data provider? Like you're saying, here's first name, last name and give me a bunch of stuff about yeah. it. Yeah, so we say like, here's your company registration number and then they go and do a lookup and find all the directors and all of the... Um, you know, the, the related entities, the companies, you know, where they're based, addresses, um, you know, shareholder holdings, like percentage holdings and things like that. So it goes goes real deep um, in, into that kind of stuff. But I guess to your point, do all the you're gone. Do all the businesses in Australia have like a number? Mm-hmm. Like they're all registered with like an ID? Interesting. Yep. I feel like there's something here like called like a DUNS number, D-U-N-S, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it's like an official thing or more like a, like just a... I don't know. I'm not sure what the way, word is for it, but like it's it's not like something that everybody mm-hmm. has. You know, it sounds like what you guys have is like a almost like a primary identifier by number mm-hmm. because you know if you're dealing with legal name or something, there's misspellings and stuff. So it's like having an ID or having like an integer or some sort of identifier that you could just use yeah. to say like I'm looking up this business. I guess in certain things we have like MLS number, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. So certain certain industries we do, but not always. Yeah, it's like a social security number, I suppose, for businesses, really. So we have the, the nice. Australian Business Register. So if you register a business name, nice. um, then you you get this number, and then that links everything. So you know, me as a sole trader, as a as an individual, that I can, you know, I have an ABN, an Australian business number, um, and so that's linked to my name as as the individual, but I can also have a trading name, you know, as a, as a mm. company name kind of thing. So, but this yeah. links everything, you know, a company could be something trading as blah. Like usually when you have a trust, it's 
you know, the trust name trading as a company name and things things like that. So I guess we do have this. It's a tax ID number. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, people are probably listening to this. Like, what is he talking about? We have that. And so, yeah, like if you register an LLC, for example, you get some kind right, of number back sure. to... Yes, you have to re- you have to use it to register your or to, to, to like pay taxes yeah. and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but nice. I guess to your point, you know, it comes down to what we're integrating. Like if we only ever want a couple of fields, then it probably doesn't matter. And I'm kind of in this funny place right. at the moment where I've got, because some of the responses are small, you know, we might say like, tell me what information you have for this given application. So we when we when we want to look up a company, we say here's the company name. We create an application with with a company number, and then the API sends back an ID, and we can use that to do a lookup. Like, have you finished doing the lookup? Like, the check status of the application. Interesting. It gives you like a transaction ID. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, okay. And so we can go and look up. Um, what's the status of the the report? Like, is it done? Can we like what's in the report? So it gives you back like a, an array of strings. So things like that, which are really small, they were easy to. To create a DTO for, I did, but then I've got all this other stuff. It's just giant JSON payloads that that don't. So yeah, um, I, I there was there was kind of like very little scope. It's like we want to integrate with this platform. Here are the docs. Um, go forth and and do that. Uh, so I just went and I went. There's nine endpoints. I built out a simple SDK. Um, that just like wraps over ZTTP because we're using Laravel six, so we don't have the the HTTP facade at the moment. So. Um, yeah, just wraps around all of that. Is that is that Adam Wise? That's the Adam one, yeah. ZTZ. ZTTP, yeah. yeah, the the precursor to the Laravel HTTP facade. So, cool. um, yeah, yeah, just wraps over that and essentially just sends a request, gets a response, um, and and deals with it that way. So, at the moment, all of the the tests that I've written hit the API. Um, now that I've got all of the like underlying functionality working, the next thing will be uh, to capture all of the JSON responses and create like static fixtures that we can then test implementations and things like that. Cause I did a demo on Friday afternoon of like, this is what I've done. And they're like, uh, normally when we would have done this integration, we would have just like done the one bit that we were going to use and kind of pretended the rest didn't exist. I'm like, well, it was all the same, you know, it's all re- request response. So if I do one, I may as well do the others. Um, and then you can just figure out like what you need to use later and how you want to use it. And that will kind of, that next step will kind of dictate, I suppose, how we go about integrating the the, the data model that, that's come back. So we'll see what happens this week, I guess. So my my this is a good question. I want to I want to I'll come back on this. You can keep going. Okay. Um. Yeah. So the um. I guess the next the next thing that I want to do is um. Well, the next thing I've been asked to do is to essentially document what I've done um and provide some samples. So you know I need to get a sample response payload for everything anyway. So when I do that, I'll just save that as fixture data for, for future tests. And um, yeah, doing doing some documentation. So it's, it's kind so of... So did you say that... Um, so when you're doing your tests right now, you're just actually hitting the real endpoint? Oh, I lost you for a second there. Oh, sorry. Uh, I said, so when you're doing your testing right now, you're just actually hitting the real endpoint? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have. So you're not doing create or anything. You're just doing get requests, basically. You're not modifying. No, anything. I'm doing creates as well. So you just. No, no. So we're doing creates. So okay. they, that, so we, they actually have a, a staging API that we're hitting, um, and they have. Oh, like, there you go. Okay, and, that was and they the, have. That's a follow up. Yeah. Yeah, they have like 50 ABNs that they've got cached on their end, um, so we can send them any of these ABNs, and they'll give us back cached data. Um, 
And That's then, nice. And we just, so got just work with that. Out, yeah. yeah. So they like so it's real data, but it's obviously cached, so it doesn't go and do lookups with, with nice. third party providers and things yeah, like yeah. that, and and incur cost. Um. So, yeah, I think, um, that like I've I've done it as as you would with like an, an interface bound to the container. So when I do the the next stage where it's then integrating the SDK with our app, as opposed to testing that the SDK works with the the sure. API, we'll be able to you know stub out all of that stuff and mock requests and responses and things like that, you know, given this ID, exactly. give yeah. me back the response and things like that. So, so do you have that? Like, did you create that inside of like a package? Are you creating a package for it? I haven't. No, I've done it. No, just throwing <laughs> yeah. it into the same code. It's funny on. though. Cause I know that, um, Sam, Sam Curry, who we had on mm-hmm. that you spoke to yep. about Lasso, he built something just this week, actually released. It's called Saloon. Yeah. Um, yep. I was actually, messaging with him this afternoon and he's like hey we should talk about it like mm-hmm. we should talk about this package i was like absolutely yeah. we should that sounds so good so i i look through that i'm like well, this is actually really nice and it's something that that i might consider in the future where that where the way that works is essentially it's got a a, a connector interface and you could have like a forge connector or an envoy connector or you know in this case for me the the know your customer connector and you and you define all of that and then you have classes that extend from those connectors and say like, this is the endpoint, this is the data you can send it. And, and then it handles all that responses. So you can really easily scaffold out, um, you know, API integrations just using this, this simple, um, it's package where you just like instantiate a new class and then say, you know, like dollar class arrow send and, and off it goes and, and fetches the data and then presents it to you. So, that's a really quick way of scaffolding that out. Someone else had done a similar thing as well, which came up in the in that Twitter thread. I might see if I can. Oh, um, yes, I did see that. And we've the funny thing is we've actually talked about both of those packages. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, on Laravel News. Laravel yeah, days. yep, we've talked about both of them. And the thing was, he said, yeah, they are actually pretty similar, with the exception of uh, the one is framework agnostic. So mm-hmm. Sam's is framework agnostic. Yeah. It was Steve King that and, did the other um, one, which I had seen before Steve as King, well. Yeah. Thank you. Called Laravel Tra- yep. uh, Laravel Transporter, which we did talk about on Laravel News. Yep. Um, and yeah, this yep. this same kind of thing as well, um, where I would certainly use that, but it requires um, PHP 8 and Laravel 8, which were not quite there. That'll be, once I get this thing out the way, that'll probably be something that I'll look at as well, is to kind of get our Laravel 6 app up to scratch um, and get some tests yeah. test in there and things like that. So, yeah, that's going pretty yeah. well. Nice, nice. So one of the things you were talking about is sort of your teammates gave you a little bit of pushback on, oh, we we'll, we actually don't usually spec out a bunch of stuff that we haven't you haven't uh, decided that we're going to use mm-hmm. yet sort of deal, right? And so I actually wrote down before we started talking, shipping small mm-hmm. um, and this exact idea of like, do you build what you aren't going to use yet? Um, even though you could see possibly using it down the road, right? And so again, it, the answer is always, it depends. But I tend to lean heavy towards the, if we're not using it, don't build mm-hmm. it um, side of things. Um, just because I have, we've done that before and you end up with a lot of dead code in your code base because what ends up, I mean, and, and in your case, maybe not mm. like in this case, it's probably not going to happen because it's probably quite discoverable. It's like going to be sitting right alongside the rest of the mm-hmm. stuff that you already are. You already created and you're already in the mindset. So like in this situation, I can see 
creating it and no harm, no foul. But sometimes it'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to create a scope, but I'm going to create the opposite of that scope as well, because I could totally see us reusing, mm-hmm. you know, or reusing that. But then you come back later, like, and you realize, number one, either you never used it, or when you actually do use it, you totally forget it's there and you rebuild it. Yeah. And then you discover, oh, crap, this is already there, mm-hmm. right? So I've been leaning really, really heavy towards the, even if it's like, even if we're we're going through and there's like 10 things on the list, right? And I know that number two is setting up sort of the stuff that's going to happen in number eight. I always tell my developer, like, don't, don't even like maybe think about it as like, don't lock yourself in too tight, but also like, don't build this massive architecture Mm -hmm. around an idea that like, we're eventually going to use this for 10 things because I've done that. And I end up making something way too complex and I never get a background to it to actually build those <laughs> other things. It's like, oh, well, I can totally see us like building a bunch of extensions onto this. And so I'm going to make it this really, really fancy way to do that. And like, you never end up building it. You know, it's like the train keeps moving and the the feature that you shipped is is through and nobody thinks about it again for another three years. Yeah. Right. And so it's code that you have to maintain and update and upgrade and you've never used it yet, mm-hmm. but it's still sitting out there for the day when you decide you're finally going yeah. to, but sometimes that day never comes. Um, so what are your, what do you think about that? What's your arguments for or against? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, broadly, I agree. Um, I, I was just reading Martin Fowler's, it came up, um, you know, Yagni, <clears throat> which you, you aren't going to ah, need it. Yagni, yes. Um, and this, was, this came up, someone I, I just started following on Twitter recently talks a lot about um, sort of managing the software development like life cycle and and you know when to use scrum and when to you know kill backlogs and all that kind of stuff so yagni came up as part of that and i was reading through that again um, and there's a good article on there about you know the cost of building the wrong feature um the cost of repairing the right feature, right feature being built the wrong way and then the cost of carrying and the cost of delay to other features and then building the right feature built the right way and how like the further you move down that tree the less cost you have in maintaining that code. Because obviously if you build the the um, the wrong feature, you've got the cost of building it and then you've got the cost of carrying and then the cost of delay to other things. Um, and so I think, I mean, in, in this specific scenario, the, the documentation that I was originally given, there was like create application, get application, um, and like get one item out of that so you don't have to return the full payload you could say like give me just this one bit and so you know i did that those three endpoints or four endpoints or whatever it was and then and then i had a a second set of documentation given to me that had like a bunch more endpoints i'm like well i've already done it so you know adding an extra get in there that that essentially does exactly what the other ones didn't didn't really cause any issue um and i suppose you know building an sdk it may be you know we only use it internally now but you could split it out into a package and host it and whatever else in, in that in that regard. Um, but like I said, broadly speaking, I'm not like I'm going to try and avoid coding myself into a corner that is not extensible. But at the same, like I'm going to say like there are some extension points here for the future, but I won't necessarily think about the specific extension points. Um and, you know, building it in such a way where you've got test coverage for it anyway, if you do need to change the way that works in the future, right. then, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal to to rewrite it. Um, and that's where, like, I've built this thing using ZTTP, which you can then upgrade to HTTP. But as we move into newer versions of 
PHP and newer versions of Laravel than something like Steve's um, Transporter or Sam's um, Saloon. Saloon. You know, those kinds of things might be useful if we're also integrating with other third-party APIs and things like that. So instead of having like this copy-paste of this is how we're doing a request and a response and, and all of that kind of stuff and then building out all of that scaffolding each time or building our own abstraction for it, we could say, okay, well, we're just going to pick this thing up and, and use that. So, you know. Yep. It's a sliding scale. Yeah. It kind of feels like, you know, it, always, it changes as, as you go. As everything, it um, depends. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, hmm. Interesting. The other thing I was going to talk about actually, which is sort of a transition away from this, but um, as you're kind of talking about this data provider sort of stuff, as a financial institution, you kind of have some... Um, you know, some additional accesses to things that maybe the general public don't have access to, you know, or maybe you pay for access to some of those pieces of information that the general public don't have access to. Um, so as a law firm, we also have access to pieces of information like that, that are aggregated across different data providers. And, um, one thing came to mind when you're talking about that, which I wanted to just mention to our listeners, which is that Chrome extensions are incredibly powerful. Um, I mean, as far as like, if you build your own, uh, they're incredibly powerful. They're pretty dang easy to build and they enable your users to do some pretty awesome stuff. So I'll give you a quick, for instance, and maybe it'll just plant a seed in the brain of some people out there who maybe haven't thought through or thought about this before, but we have teams of people who will do skip tracing, um, during file activation. So we'll say, Hey, we're looking to find this individual, here's what we know about them, right? We might know vehicle registration. We might know their license plate. We might know first name, last name. We might know address. We might know whatever. We could be be looking for all different sorts of things. We could be looking for assets. We could be looking for good contact information, a new phone number, et cetera, right? But some of the sites that we have, um, they just basically, it's almost like white pages, which I don't know if you guys have that over there, but essentially you type that information in, right? You type in first name, last name, address, city, state, zip, county, whatever information you have, and then you search that person and it will try and pull back a record for that person and whatever information they might have, like including, you know, here's a relationships, like this might be their husband, this might be their wife, this might be their dad, their mom, um, you know, here's where they last lived and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? But we already have all that information in our system of record. Um, but that's a old system, like we don't have an API into that system necessarily, and so what we wanted to do is we wanted to enable our teams who are doing this, uh, which we call it skip tracing. We wanted to enable our teams who are doing this to get that data and pump it into those forms really quickly. And so what we did is Chrome extensions, if you didn't know, essentially give you a backdoor into the website that you are viewing. Chrome sort of gives you this amazing superpower to be able to sort of inject whatever the heck you want on that page. And this is how things like last pass or like mm. password extensions like they'll monitor the page they'll look through any of the forms and then they'll, if they detect a password then they'll check their records to see if they have a password for the url that's currently being viewed and if they do then they'll inject it in that form mm. right so that's kind of how LastPass works but what we're doing is we're essentially saying um if you're on this particular page we want to hijack that form and we are going to literally show our own buttons we're going to modify that form And then if you, from our system of record, type this special command, we'll issue a curl command, which goes up to Pusher, and our Chrome extension is listening for it. And once it gets that message from Pusher, it then pulls all the data from our system of record and pumps it into that form for our users. Mm. And then what it does, which is sort of insane, 
is it will search and then it will look for a result. And if it doesn't find a result, it will modify the search. So it will intelligently add or remove information until we're able to get a result, right? And so it's not illegal. We're paying for all the searches anyway. It doesn't matter. It's just a really fast way for us to be able to quickly iterate through a bunch of different search types. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so we'll try the full address, you know, first name, last name, middle name, full address, city, city, zip, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then we'll remove first name. Then if that doesn't work, then we'll remove zip code. And if that doesn't work, we'll remove city, right? So now we just have last name and state, right? And so it just kind of keeps going through and iterates until it gets a hit and then it stops and pauses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this idea of, you know, the nice thing about this is it's not an API, which means that, you know, you sort of have to be creative with how you're doing this. With an API, you could do that really quickly. Uh, but the benefit of this is that you still have a pre-built UI that the users can interact with and you don't have to build that. Yeah. You're basically just hijacking their UI. Um, and utilizing it in a ethical way for sure, but just being more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, so man, Chrome extensions are just awesome. I love them. And now it used to be that there was this whole build process and all this stuff that you had to do with in order to package them up and then provide them locally to your users. But now there's this idea of like essentially unlisted packages Mm -hmm. on, um, on the Chrome store or whatever. And so you just package it in your browser and then send it up to the Chrome store and it's unlisted. So nobody's going to find it and you just provide it to your users. It's pretty awesome. Enough. Um, yeah. So man, they're good. They're good. Yeah, stuff. I could see if you haven't checked them out before. I could see where something like that would be useful. I don't know where specifically for us, but I'm sure there's more than one scenario where we're copying and pasting stuff between, you know, uh, our system and, you know, banks and things like that backwards and forwards for sure. Filling out forms and, and things like that. So, Hmm. Something yeah, to keep like, back in back in my mind. It really is because like there's like these robotic process automation things, right? Where people say you can use something like um, I don't know, uh, you know, I, people have used stuff like Dusk before. I think mm. Caleb was using Dusk one time to like check airline tickets or something, right? And that's fine if you want to like run it in the background, but you can't really have an interface that you're interacting with yeah. at the same time. It just runs in the background and then reports back to you. But basically, if you are a software developer at a company that is helping to assist your own team members with doing their job, and they ever interact with an interface that's on the web, uh, that's not yours, that you don't have full control of, one way to gain a large foothold is to be able to develop and deploy a custom Chrome extension. Um, So food for thought. Mm. They're really awesome. That That is quite interesting. Yep. And it's all just like JavaScript, you know, you literally just write straight JavaScript files and just chuck them in the browser. Mm -hmm. It's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. And you can even like, you know, one of the things that we're doing, like if you're dealing with sensitive data, like you might be, you probably don't want to push that data all the way up to. So like for us, the way that we're doing it is, um, you know, we want to initiate it from our side. So basically we're in our system of record and they type XCC is like the command. And then it pushes up to pusher. And then since it's listening on that page, it automatically, their browser just automatically reacts. Mm-hmm. When they type that one command from our system of record, the browser changes, which is awesome. It like reacts to a change in a completely different system. And then the browser just starts ripping through searches. Um, and so all we do is we issue a pusher command with the identifier of the record that we're trying to locate. And then the cool thing is when it gets to that Chrome extension, that browser is inside our network. 
So then secondarily, we make a request to an internal API. So even if somebody did get the Chrome extension, they'd never have the ability to do anything yeah. with it because they couldn't, they're not Power inside our network. network. Yep. So that information is all still private and hidden within our network. All we're pushing up to pusher is the record identifier. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, works like a charm though. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I will certainly keep in mind for future reference. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. What else? Um, there was a couple other things, but um, I wanted to talk about one other item, which is that I think you said that you're working with some like offshore developers, right? Mm-hmm. How's that going? Like, what's your role in that? Are you shaping out the requirements or what's your what's your par- part in that? Uh, not at the moment. At the moment, I've I've met with them and I've spoken with them and that's that's about it really. Um I made them all set up PHP CS fixer in their VS code. <laughs> I think that was like nice. by the end of the first week I was there I'm like all of the code is different. Let's put this in. And mm. then so I was responsible for putting CS fixer in and and putting in the initial rule set to match basically what I've used everywhere that that is as close to what Laravel does short of using style CI. Um, and then someone else ran that across the entire 700 odd file code base. Oh boy. So it's got their name uh-huh. all over it. And then, um, Oh gosh, <laughs> left it at that. So, so did, I mean, so you said there are some tests though, right? So it's not like you're, cause running those things is always a little bit scary. scary. Yeah. I mean, it's unlikely that it's going to completely jack stuff up, but if you had something written weirdly in the first place and it just so happened to be working because of whatever, and then something came in around and fixed mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to want to, you're, you're just going to feel a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. unless you have some tests to run against stuff and make sure that things are working. Yeah. Haven't, haven't heard of any issues. Um, I, I mean, when I, when I put it in there, I said, I wouldn't suggest like going and rewriting all the files. Mm-hmm. It would be more, uh, every time you go into a file in the future, you know, just tidy it up kind of thing. But, um, it's not part of CI, and I think not everyone has got that set up in their CS fixer, or they haven't got it set up in their VS Code yet. So there's still some sure. stuff that comes through that I'm like, mm, this has not been formatted. Like it's obviously hasn't hasn't been formatted, kind of thing. So um, that's yeah. But um, I get that. Yeah, that's why I like style CI too. Yeah, because it just doesn't. You don't have to worry about it. So yeah, it does. It, yeah, inside the pull request, mm-hmm. it's just like, yep, that's not right, and then. Next time they go to push code, it's like, no, you can't because there's yeah. new code up there. You have to rebase first. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. but I haven't beyond beyond meeting them and being in a couple of meetings with them in the last couple of weeks. I haven't had a whole lot to do with them. It's more down to at the moment. Yeah, I'm just doing this integration at the moment, and then the business kind of wants to figure out how they want to utilize my skills in terms of looking after that team or integrating with that team or you know doing other bits and pieces to kind of get through a backlog of tasks. So I should have a nice. clearer picture of what that looks like this week. The um, the leadership team was off for, for most of the first week. Well, they were off for the first week of the year. So this was only the first four weeks. So they were, you know, playing catch up from from the Christmas New Year break. But um, yeah, I should have a clearer understanding of, of how that relationship's going to work this week as well. So... I I definitely appreciate that about you. Like you have a a really good skill set for exactly what you're talking about, which is basically coming into an existing code base and saying, okay, 
there are a couple of things that aren't right here that we should probably just get fixed right off the bat. Like, for example, when you first started working on a WebRepay product, you were like, yeah, there's some tests failing here. I'm just going to go ahead and fix all those. And it was like, okay, now the test pass every time. Because it was just one of those things where it was like an inconvenience where every once in a while the tests would fail and then we'd just rerun them because mm-hmm. we're too lazy to fix it sort of deal because it's not that big of a deal. And if we just rerun it, it'll be fixed in three minutes rather than spending whatever. But like you're like, okay, let's fix these. I'm going to get all the tests passing. Great. Okay, your setup.shell script isn't really working for me. So I'm going to fix that too. Mm. And then let's get... Okay, great. Now everything's tidy, nice and good. Now I can start working on features, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that this team for sure, it sounds like they're going to get some of the same Dorinda benefit, which is, hey, let's put, uh, you know, let's put a CS fixer in here. Let's get everything all nice and tidy. Let's all get on the same page. Okay, now we can move forward, you know. You know, we're all we're all at the same spot. Now. Yeah, and that was that um, was part of the conversations so that I had with the company before I started. I said, you know, you've got a team of eight, I think now, and you know, you're just trying to keep up with new features and and fixing bugs and whatever else. Which means they're bringing someone new in. You still have the same number of resources for all of that stuff, but you now have an extra resource that can spend a month or three months going through and analyzing what you have, where you have room for improvement, things that, you know, that could streamline development moving forward. Um, you know, whether you agree with a particular coding style or not doesn't really matter when formatting of that code style is handed automatically. Right. And, and it, it's not personal. Correct. Yeah. And it just means that like everyone sees the same code, everyone understands what it is and how it should look and things like that so that you don't have to worry too much about how code looks when you're doing stuff. Um, but also going through and kind of setting a baseline for tests. Like that was day one was, you know, going through a whole bunch of documentation or day two, they had a whole bunch of documentation. This is how we do things that they had, um, you know, ERDs, entity relationship diagrams. They had documentation for all of this stuff. They've got Postman collections that they go through all of their, endpoints to make sure that things work the way they expect them to work for each release and things like that. So there is like tests in place. They're just kind of manual. Um, and then sitting down and going, all right, let's get your, cause they, most of the offshore team is on windows. So most of the, the docs were geared Ooh, towards fun. that, but the, the guy that's here in Australia, he's, he's on a Mac. So I was just making sure that like running the setup actually did what, was intended to do based on the, the in, yeah. you know, the different environments. <clears throat> sure. Um, and then that was up and running and then it was like, all right, I'm running tests. So starting with bits and pieces, we're using um, Samuel Stansel's multi-tenancy package to, to handle multi-tenancy and, and discrete databases and things like that. So figuring out how that works and then figuring out how we can write tests for that. And then we've got like a little admin backend tool that is responsible for creating new tenants and seeding that data and migrating and all of that. So then it was a matter of writing tests for that functionality just to get a feel for how you would write tests for the the multi-tenanted aspect of it. Um, and then once that was done, it was kind of like, you know, okay, we have a, a baseline here that we can work from in terms of making sure exactly. that we build Everybody tests in the future. Get on the same mm-hmm. page. Yeah. Because they, they have cool. tests. Laravel 6 didn't have like the artisan test command. They didn't get introduced nothing until Laravel 7. So they wrote their own okay. test command, but it's interesting. Like they don't they don't use PHP unit directly. Um, so it's not like running vendor bin PHP unit. It's 
it's like a console command that is responsible for, for doing all this kind of scaffolding and then like running PHP unit through that console command. Um, hmm. And it was like they had tests, but I'm not, they, when I said, oh, these tests are a bit interesting and they said, yeah, we don't really run them. Don't, don't rely on them too much. And I was like, okay, so we'll, we'll write some hmm. tests in the more Laravel E way. So do they run them in, produ- or, uh, in deployment or no? Not in an automated way. You'll get there. Yeah. So you'll get there. You know, there's there's that, and then the other thing is that they they like have a branching strategy in terms of feature development, and um, yeah. there's it's with a team of eight, you're probably at that point where you kind of have to, yeah, right. You, you that that's a big enough team, you're going to have to have some sort of structured branching strategy mm-hmm. there. Um, it's interesting learning to work with like a separate front end and back end code base. Although we've got a separate team that does, Ooh, interesting, like yeah. we've got a there's a team that does front end and a team that does back end. So I'm not sure yet what that handover process looks like. Um, so that's something TBD in the future. Um, but the, you know, the branching strategy is essentially like if it's a discrete feature or a bug fix or whatever, it just goes into a branch and then it gets merged into master. Um, if it's sure. like interdependent features, then you create like a dev, like a, a dev branch oh, and then you sure. branch from dev that. Dev dash feature, sure. Um, yep. Just so that you can see that there's like multiple bits and then they can all be grouped together, but they, yeah, that makes but, they sense. but they don't actually do pull requests. So they've got these branches, and then when the branch is done, huh. they kind of like, here is the link to the branch, and then you just go and do the diff comparison. Um, so it's a matter of kind of bringing in what I would consider to be a, a fairly normal pull request review workflow to, okay. to that. Yeah, sure. Because I said, well, you, I mean, you, you're partway there because they were using Jira, but they've since moved out of Jira, and they've moved everything over to ClickUp, which is, which is fine. Um, and that, and I was kind of like, well, you know, why? Because we've got like the front end team is using GitHub because the tool that we're using for the front end only integrates with GitHub and GitLab, but all of our back end stuff is in Bitbucket. So the front end is in GitHub, the back end is in Bitbucket. And I said, well, why don't you just move everything to GitHub and use the project management tools there? Yeah. Because um, they've yeah. got, you know, all of the Kanban stuff there now and the project management's good, you know, much better than what it, what it used to be. Um, but they're using ClickUp sure. because then there's other parts of the business that, that go in there and they use it and they, rightly or wrongly, don't know, too early to tell, yep. um, have access to yep. that. And I said, you know, well, we've got to kind of, because there's like a whole bunch of um, lists in there that, that they use to track all kinds of different things. And I said, like, if the development team sees all of these things, it's good to to have an understanding of like what's in the future, but having like this backlog of doom that just keeps growing and growing that never gets worked on is probably not useful to anyone really. So, yeah, you know, pruning that, but like bringing in an actual review process. Because previously they were doing it in, in Jira, so the code would get pushed, and they would like they would look at the diffs in Bitbucket in the UI, or they would pull it down and and look at the code locally. But then the comments would go in Jira, so the developers were working in Jira, but also like the product owners and the stakeholders were in Jira. So you'd get all of this technical stuff mixed in with all of the, mixed the in higher the, level, yeah, sure, you know, stakeholder conversations. And I'm like. Doesn't doesn't really work. Like you're most of the way there, and I would just, you know, tweak that such that you're doing the code review with the code and keeping that, you know, in Bitbucket, and then all of the other stuff comes out. Um, so yeah, ClickUp is something I've never used before. I, I'm sure that the last like four out of the last five jobs I've been at, they've all used something different <laughs> in terms of like project management tooling. So um, there's just like a lot of these tools look very pretty and they have their own slant on doing things but 
Yeah. They all provide like way too much stuff um, in terms of like, you know, you can, they're not, there's no, there's no opinions. It's like you can do whatever you want with it kind yeah, of thing. Bring your own structure. And right, so exactly. no one has their own structure and anyone using tools like this to solve lack of structure is just, and then you end up filling it out as you go along and then you don't quite get it right. And you're like, well, this is just, you know, you either do it, but you, you don't really do it. And then stakeholders yeah. have different expectations to what developers do and then developers are never updating tickets and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it just gives you an overview. And it's like, what is it, you know, at what point is the ticket going in there? And like I've created a ticket for this SDK and then there's like an integration and then there's like this is phase one and this is phase two. And then just like moving things and you're going through the motions and things like that. But yeah. That's tough, man. It's tough. Like any organization of any size is going to have some of these sort of issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, I say organization. And when I say organization, I don't mean the company. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. structure of information. Um, We're, we're, I feel like our development workflow is pretty good. Like, I feel like we were audited or we we basically were getting audited and had some compliance stuff really early on, kind of when we started bringing on new developers, which forced us to have to think about some of these mm-hmm. things and standardize on one one way of doing things. And so we ended up, we got lucky and were able to standardize on GitHub um, relatively early on. We had some jacked up stuff when we first mm-hmm. started. We used to literally just, we had a, a master, like a production so at first we just had production and then we had development and there was no git it was just save and you're done mm-hmm. right sort of deal like save to master to production if you wanted to make a change you could just save to production all good um or if you were working on something in development like and it was a little bit bigger feature you'd work on development you'd save it and then we'd manually diff it and push it in i mean that was it i mean it was crazy yeah. right and then eventually we figured out like okay what is this git thing and then i mean I think when it really became a reality, um, it was when it became really easy to deploy from GitHub. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, well, there's this massive advantage to using GitHub because you can just deploy straight from GitHub. This is awesome. Let's do that, right? Um, yeah, every, but anyway, everywhere yeah. I've been has always had this aversion to GitHub. Like they've always been invested in. Really? Yeah, why is that? I, I've noticed that. Like everybody uses, like that you've worked with uses Bit, Bitbucket mm. or GitLab or whatever. I don't yeah. know what it is. I think like some places have used Bitbucket because you because it was free and you got private it's repositories free. for free. Yeah. But then GitHub did that. But then, um, exactly. But then there's businesses like we'd rather self-host GitLab because then you know we've got gear and it's on-prem and we own all the data and things like that. And I kind of, I guess like it's, it's more. More regular to see GitHub used in the US because it's a US company. So any data sovereignty issues that you have around like we have to keep data in the United States is easy because it's all in the United States. Yeah, Whereas it's in the US. Exactly. if we have yeah. any data sovereignty requirements that, you know, this has to be in Australia, well, that kind of rules out GitHub kind of thing. Cause right, it's true. Yep. So I don't I don't know if that's specifically the reason. Because obviously we've got some stuff on GitHub. Um but and Bitbucket, like lots of Australian companies, just get sucked into using Atlassian stuff because Atlassian's an Australian company, so people just use Atlassian. And then Atlassian is a um, they're a company of cross cross selling. Like you buy, you get Bitbucket, and then it's like, oh, I'm project management. Okay, well, we've got Jira. So yeah, then you've got yeah, and you get oh, Jira, we wanted the and documentation, get, yeah. and then it's Confluence, and then it's like 
fisheye and and all of this other stuff and before you know it using like seven different products paying you know thirty thousand dollars a year <laughs> you know something stupid like that and uh and mike cannon brooks laughs all the way to whichever environmental cause he's chasing this week <laughs> not not to you know not to take sure, shots at yeah. him for that specific thing but like you know that's what he's doing these days he's He's doing the the environmental thing, which is all power to him. But like you know, Atlassian, like I said, it's just a it, for me. It, it just feels like a, a a company made of product cross selling. You know, everything's like buy this one thing. Whereas GitHub is like it's version control and it's pull request review and it's project management. It's like and it's it's kind of everything in one. And you can do your deployments in there and you can do your CI in there and it's all self contained. Whereas yeah, um, and it's, it, and it's like deal. you pay you it's, know four dollars per user or whatever it is or five dollars per user just a monolith and you just get everything um yeah whereas you know and then you get bitbucket but then you don't want to pay you don't want to pay the atlassian tax to to get jira and and then as your team grows it suddenly gets more and more expensive so instead of paying more money to atlassian you're looking for ways to get out of atlassian to pay some other company less, less money so and then you go look at all these other other things on the side that you're trying to then so you, end up with this you end up with this Frankenstein thing deal, where yeah. like all of your code is still in Bitbucket because you haven't escaped Atlassian, but you're now like you've you've migrated all of your stuff out of Jira into some other tool, and you're trying to figure out how to use this tool, which has got like ref back references to Jira in there, and it's. Ugh. I'd like to say yeah. it's something I I'm haven't sorry, seen man. often, but it's something that I see all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and the good thing is it's it's not the most important thing. It's just a part of mm. it. Like you know. So yeah, that's good. That's good. So yeah, documentation Not writing, bad. finishing up this SDK this week, and then and then documentation writing, and then you know, see how the week unfolds. Nice man. Well, congrats. I'm stoked you're at this yes. new job, yeah. and uh, best of luck to you. you. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. Hey, before we uh, wrap up the show here, because we are at 54 minutes, uh, I'll tell you, I have been enjoying very much this new game by Rocket League called Rocket League Sideswipe. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, it's really fun. Um, so I've been a big Rocket League player. I say big Rocket League player. I'm uh Diamond One, maybe? Okay. Yeah, I got all the way through the platinum and I was a diamond one at the end of last season, I think. Mm-hmm. So which is for me, that's really pretty good. Um, I know there are a lot of people who are way better than me. So no bragging here. I'm just saying. Um, I've really enjoyed playing it, which has been fun. But they came out with this mobile version and David Hemphill is a beast at the real Rocket League. Mm-hmm. Just ridiculous, freaking ridiculous. And um, so when Sideswipe first came out, he knew all about it and he was like, yeah, I've played it. It's garbage. I'm like, oh, okay. And then uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to try it out anyway. And so I tried it and it has been so fun. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It is really enjoyable. And it's also rage inducing. It's like the real Rocket League, which is like... Mm-hmm. You you kind of like it and kind of hate it at the same time because it's so frustrating. But like when you win, it's really fun too. So I don't know. I've been playing that a lot. So I'm in gold across all three different categories right now. Um, I spent way too much time on it. But in any my and like in my spare time when I'm when I'm like falling asleep, typically playing sideswipe instead of doing <laughs> reading or anything that would actually be productive or like help me go to sleep you know instead it's like 12 30 and yeah like, i just gotta win one more round yeah, one hoops more. One more. something stupid yeah exactly. my uh and also you'd be you'd be proud of me we're, we're playing basketball on sunday nights now. nice 
some dudes. Did yeah. I tell you? I, I you suited up. You wouldn't be proud of my shot. But... No, I suited up for one of my old teams the, the week before Christmas, or the week of Christmas last year. They're like... Really? What does that mean? You stood it up. I what does suited, that mean? I suited up. Somebody? I played. Oh, suited up. Suited okay, up. I thought you said I am... Um, like, okay, yeah, yeah they're up. like... They were struggling for players. Like, we've got three. Um, it's the last game of the year. I said, look, I'll put on my Santa suit and I'll play for you. Because, you know, it's Christmas. <laughs> um, I'm sure. like, if you... Do you actually have a Santa suit? No. <laughs> I thought you were for real. No. I thought you are like, I'm literally going to go put on a Santa suit and go play. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. Too hot. Too hot for that here. But too hot, um, too hot. Okay. I said, look, it's Christmas. If if you need me to be the fifth player, I will come and stand on the court for you. And um, I played. I was awful. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I shot the ball. I had a couple of layups. Um, I had terrible free throw shots. Um, I didn't turn the ball over, which <laughs> I was most surprised with. I thought of of all of there you go all of the skills that I for didn't sure. have before. My ball handling skills would be the worst now, but. I was I was reasonable there, but I got there, and there was some miscommunication in in like the team chat where someone was like, you know, you guys play and we'll have six, um, and then two people misread that in in like the string of conversations. So I got there, and there was four of us, oh, and no. so we just like had a ring in from one of the games before us. We said, you know, just just come and fill in for us. So you had yeah, five sure. guys. Um, playing that had had never played with each other before. No subs. Uh, it was no it subs. was like you know nine thirty at night. It was no subs. The other team had like nine players. They were all you know young of kids. Course. They were just Fresh. running yeah, exactly. running rampant. Like we ended up losing by thirty or something like that. It was a, it was an atrocious yeah, game. Yeah, those fast break and layers. I could not move. I could not move for like <laughs> a week and a half after. Like my legs were just oh no because I'd I'd run a six k in the morning and then they said you know can you play I'm like ah uh. that's true that's true you're still running so like you've at least got that going so I still had you. fitness it's like but it's completely yeah. sedentary but yeah, um, yeah, yeah yeah but the the basketball movement's very different like when you're running it's just in a straight line at your own pace whereas basketball sure. would stop and start and changing direction and like having yeah. not done that for when did I do my knee 2018 three years you know. Yep. It's it's That'll it's very it. different. And there were just points like where I could I used to be able to run backwards quick enough and then spin and then get after a player. Whereas that night I was stepping backwards. I'm like, I'm just gonna give up because if I if I try and turn around, like there's too high a chance of me twisting a knee or something here. So I just whatever. Yeah. Like there's no way we're gonna resurrect this game anyway. So just go go mate. Whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. Just take it easy, have fun, get a couple of it, it, it was it was it was so much fun. Um, and, and yet I just, I couldn't, couldn't do it regularly. I think just, and then like, That's and funny. then we have this Omicron thing running now and I had to, yep, sure. so I, I think late last year I said like I'd started this, this bulk and the bulk is three, eight, well, it's, it's two, two, four week stints of bulk and then a four week of cut. So where you like you eat, 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 and you spend a lot of time in the yeah. gym doing weights. So you do four weeks, you then recalculate your macros and you do it for another four weeks. And then you recalculate your macros based on your new weight. And then you do a cut um, to like build muscle, to aggressively build muscle. Um, and so I got four weeks into that. And then we had this like Omicron wave hit and then we had gastro and and then the kids childcare closed because they had a one of the educators tested positive so then there was like 
And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't risk going to the gym now, um, getting sick, you know, and then getting the kids sick. Like I just, I can't have that on my conscience. Everyone's going to get it. I get that. But I'd like to do everything I can to avoid the kids getting it as much as possible. So beyond childcare, like we don't leave the house. That's a bummer, dude. So and so, I got four weeks into a yeah. twelve week thing, and I'm like, well, I'll put that on ice for six months, and hopefully, I right. can right. get in between the next variant. Come back to it a little bit later. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so depressing exactly. because yeah. I was I was really into it, and I was, you know, I'd, I'd hit like just getting the ball. Yeah, rolling. I got the ball rolling. Hit I momentum. hit like I did yep. the first four weeks. I hit the target perfectly where I was expecting to be. I was, you know, gaining muscle. I was increasing my lifts, and then just I. Picked a bad time, and then because and then and then there was like Christmas, and then and then the gastro was like Christmas, New Year, then new job, and right. and so yeah. it's just I remember, and I haven't. There was like a whole month of December was shot, yeah, and so like, like three you just were like for three weeks I haven't done, like since basically the start of this year I haven't I haven't gone for a single run, and I was gonna do it on Wednesday night because it was hot Tuesday Wednesday Wednesday night cooled down I'm like it'd be it'd be a good night to go for a run on the on the foreshore, but I'd I'd got my booster on that Wednesday and yeah, you're not going to run enough for that. And well, I was fine. But Ray said like, she was feeling fine when she had hers a few days before. And then she exercised that night and it just wiped her out for the next two days. And she was convinced that that's what it was. I'm like, all right, well, I won't. If you say that that's for sure. Gonna, I, yeah. I've had no symptoms. I had like, I didn't even have a sore arm really. I didn't even know until, until one of the kids hit me and I was like, Oh, that's still a bit tender, but um, yeah, right. incidental, they weren't beating me or anything like that. So um sure 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 <laughs> but um yeah so i've my kids beat me sometimes, i've been f- five months from from my old job we had like this fitness thing we wear the the heart rate monitor and it gives oh, you nice. and it gives you points yeah. for you know energy expenditure and things like that kind of like the apple watch but it's more competitive yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um and so I'm, I'm five months in a row of hitting the target and with 15 days left in in january i'm uh i'm in very serious danger of not making it. And I, I basically have to run oh. 4K every two days for the for the rest of the month. And I'm not quite sure my body's capable of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you either have to like fully commit or just let it go. Yeah. It's like I can I, I can yeah. hit that target quite comfortably over a month, but compressing that into two months after having uh, sorry, compressing that into half a month after having two weeks, two and a half weeks of complete inactivity is just gonna be a slog. Um, especially with the weather at yeah. the moment. So yeah. Wish me luck. Blasted. I'm going to do it. I will. Good luck, my friend. You got I'm this. Go for a run you got this. All right. All right, folks. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with this. This was episode 110 of the North Meet Southwood podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 110. Hit us up on Twitter at Michael Durinda at Jacob Bennett or at North South Audio. And of course, if you like the show, rate it up in your podcatcher five stars. Would be awesome. Awesome. Hey, folks, have a wonderful brand new year. We're only a couple weeks in. It's only the 15th, halfway through the month. Hopefully your goals are still going well. All right, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See everybody. See ya.